0: This is the spec sheet. spec sheet with curtis thornton on this edition we'll be discussing only lawnmower repair please no calls about computers call the show now at 573-837-4948 that's 573-837-4948 and now here's the spec sheet
1: sheet I'm Michael Van Dieven he's Curtis Thornton hey Curtis hey
2: how are things going
1: they're lovely thank you for asking and have a good afternoon bye yeah great show um you know um before the show we play music on on the air for people to listen to just so there's something to listen to other than a three-year-old broadcast of our podcast and um it's kind of funny like today I just threw in a bunch of Zeppelin and let it randomly play And it's just really hilarious, the juxtaposition going from stairway right into our intro music. Isn't it something? It's just the juxtaposition there, it gets me, uh, really, I have to say. It gives us that extra little something. I don't know about that. I think it (laughs) reveals how uh, little of any sort of extra something there actually is where we're concerned. Um, So anyway, if you want to be on the show, the number to call is 573-837-4948. It's 573-837-4948. And sorry, we are about, what, 27 minutes late getting the show started today. (laughs) Um, Yes, I again am hungover. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Man, to live the life of Michael. You know, it's all going to come to a crashing halt on June 5th. It's, oh really uh, oh yeah that's when is Nabe- that when the mother-in-law yeah that's when the be Nabe- yeah. Nabe- what's my wife's name my wife my, my wife has some crazy <laughs> foreign name i can't say it That that's when nabila's mom goes back to morocco june 5th and when that happens boy does everything change yikes yeah oi is it really gonna just come crashing down you were so jealous of me uh you know in anticipation of her getting here, and now you can be happy. The Schadenfreude can really just, you can be just dripping with Schadenfreude as you watch my uh, life come to a screeching halt. It's going to be lovely. The, the Playboy lifestyle
2: goes away, and you're back to reality
1: like me. No more banging broads and hanging out. No, I'm getting it. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, please call us if you'd like to be on the show. Again, this is a show about technology. We talk about what's in the tech news. We talk about what's happening in our individual lives from a technology standpoint. I don't know how much technology there is in a Long Island iced tea, so I don't know how much I'll have to contribute to the show (laughs) today, but uh, I will make an attempt, and we also are very happy to take your tech support calls Uh, if there's something that's just been grinding away at you from a technology standpoint maybe you are having computer problems you can't figure out and you don't know what to do about it give us a call and we'll be happy to help you out we know nobody will call but i still say that because well it fills a good two minutes you know and, and really someday, <laughs> that's five seven three eight three seven forty nine forty eight. I'll type it in the chat room: five seven three eight three seven forty nine forty eight. As you can hear, I have my DOS keyboard hooked up once again. Yes, I had to disconnect it for a while because I spilled a smidge of Diet Coke on the uh, number uh, pad a couple of weeks ago, and the number three was just like randomly typing when I would use it, and so. Uh, oh. I had to just set the thing aside for a while and uh, let it dry out. And it's fine now. It just needed to I dry say, out. I, I thought that that would be able to handle that just fine. <laughs> you would think. I was a little disappointed at how... Uh, I mean, it was just a tiny amount of Diet Coke. I, I have to say I was really surprised by uh, how easily that affected this keyboard. I mean... Mm-hmm. The keyboard was never tilted or anything like that for the Coke to be able to move around in there. It was a small amount. You would think that, I don't know. I have to say, I think this DOS keyboard, you could probably go get a different type of mechanical keyboard and enjoy it just as much and pay a lot less, I think. Yeah, Say I've got uh, the Black Widow from Razer mechanical
2: keyboard, and I love it. I don't have any issues with it. I like the backlighting the feel the tactile feel of it I've, I I don't know about what would happen if I spilled something on it but uh, my guess is it would not be much different than what you've experienced but
1: overall I mean it's a nice solid keyboard hmm. you know we have such uh, we have just really um, we have such presence where our audience is concerned and that's evidenced by the fact that they're talking about bicycles in the I know. chat room. I mean, <laughs> we really are. They are just with bated breath listening to yeah. uh, everything we're saying. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. they're, they're riveted. A, a I, I want to go take a picture of my,
2: uh, my bike and put it in the chat room so I can take part in this too.
1: You know, I'm wondering if this Saturday show thing is maybe not a great idea. Let me look how many people we have in the chat room compared yeah, to what we would normally have. Yeah, it, it is pretty wide. No one's going to call this show today. There's absolutely, there's no way we get a single phone call today. And if we do, it's just someone trying to be contrarian because I just said that. Yeah, I was going to say, you just threw a gauntlet down there. Somebody is going to call in to
2: prove you wrong. Hmm. Well,
1: So anyway, you've gotten into the wearables arena. Yes, I have. Uh, Well, I guess we should start by saying, after all of my accolades for the Galaxy S5, you've decided to go with the S5.
2: Yeah, I decided to play with it. Uh, So AT&T has a a plan called uh, the Next Plan. You can use to where instead of paying up front for a subsidized uh, version of a phone, uh, you you can pay a monthly fee that basically is the unsubsidized price over the course of, uh, I believe it's two years, so 24 payments. But the nice thing in that is after 12 months, you can turn the phone in them and they'll give you another phone you know, basically you're leasing the phone mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so what I decided was I'm going to go ahead and switch from my 5s to uh, the S5 just to try it out and uh, see how how good it is see if, if all your uh, your accolades actually stand up to uh, my Apple using su- uh, switch and you know how it was when I when I tried to use the HTC one the bloatware on it, you got me out of it so quickly that, uh, I traded it back in before the uh, return. <laughs> what period. What a shame. I well, I can, I can report that I am several days into it now. And I went ahead and bought the, uh, gear 2 Neo, uh, mm-hmm. so that I have a, a, a smartwatch now. So, so I invested some, some money into it on top of just getting the phone, uh, and so far, I'm really liking it. I'm, I'm surprised
1: how much. Uh, Which smartwatch did you buy? Was it the, it was the, the Samsung? Yeah, it's the, the Samsung Gear 2 Neo. Oh, okay. Yeah, you uh, really bought into the Samsung universe just now, didn't you? I did, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I, the, you should have some thing. Samsung tattooed on your children, I think. Oh, I,
2: well, I did. When I got my Samsung tablet, for my Windows tablet, I did. Uh, so now I can add the Galaxy logo
1: right under Samsung. So, you know, actually, I'm kind of wondering, is that that Samsung watch, is it pretty much useless if you don't have a Samsung phone? Yeah. Can you you just have any Android phone with Bluetooth? No, it it is locked to the Galaxy world. Really? That's kind of a bad move on their part, I think.
2: I agree. Well, the thing is that the original smartwatch, the year uh, I've been researching this um, some, is based on, on Linux. The new one is based on a, a very custom version uh, called Tizan, I believe, and uh, with that, they're able to control what apps you have to do it within their operating system, uh, which I, I'm going to guess is probably still just a modified Linux, but it's it's locked down so much that they have complete control. Uh, so, uh, it may be this custom from the ground up. I mean, it, it's not, it wouldn't surprise me, Samsung's tried before to create mobile operating systems that have failed, but... Uh, I'm cool with it for the moment. Like I said, it's, it's kind of a toy to play with. I'm, I'm interested in the, uh, I was going to get the, the gear fit originally, uh, which is their fitness version of it that has a wider screen. uh, And I ended up going with the more square traditional smartwatch look, but I really want to use the fitness stuff. I've been using the, the pedometer, the sleep tracking, uh, and at some point I'll start using it for, for, for running too. But right now I really only care about how many steps in a day and, how often do I, uh, or how much do I sleep, and, and how often am I moving around and getting a good sleep? Uh, it's also, I, I believe, the only uh, smartwatch that has a, a heart rate monitor built into it. So uh, the phone has one too. But it's That's so, the
1: silliest feature I've ever seen on a phone, I have to say. Well, it, it is, unless you're exercising. Uh, well, I'm not. Which, I mean,
2: most people aren't. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: but, but, well,
2: here's the thing I figure the, the iPhone 6. Uh, when it comes out, it's probably going to be a bigger screen. I mean, the, the the rumor is they'll have two screen sizes: one that's closer to, to to six inches, and another one that's more traditional. And uh, I'm interested in it, but I, I doubt they're going to do anything too uh, crazy on it. But I am. But their smartwatch is going to do a lot of cool things. It sounds like uh, for for health tracking. Uh, so I'm even though I'm tied in through the watch in, in 12 months, if I don't. Uh, if I don't like this thing, I can take it back. You know, I can trade it in and get the new iPhone. So it's kind of like a no-commitment kind of deal. I, it works for
1: me. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, what I, I don't know, man. I, I, It would be really hard for me to imagine going back to an iPhone from a Galaxy S5 unless they were to increase the size of the screen on the iPhone, which if they do, I'm not sure they're going to do it in any substantial way. Yeah, well, here's the thing.
2: Uh, I haven't found anything, well, again, I I found this on the HTC also. There's nothing on the Android that I can't do uh, on, or sorry, there's nothing on the iPhone that I can't do on the Android. Uh, One thing that bugged me was music because I I have iTunes Match, and uh, so I use that for, for radio, for iTunes Radio, and to have all my music in the cloud.
1: iTunes the, iTunes Match?
2: I don't, yeah. I, I don't know what that is. Okay, so you pay a yearly fee. I think it's $29 a year. Mm-hmm. And you get pretty much your... You can use iTunes then to upload your entire library music to the cloud. But when it does that, uh, if all those songs are, are, are connected into their library, like if they have rights to it, then they'll give you higher quality versions. So I could have 128-bit... Uh, MP3, and they're going to give me the top quality level version in the cloud, and I could download it again. So basically, for twenty nine dollars one time, you could take your entire MP3 library that maybe you ripped or downloaded, which is all over the place quality wise, and get an automatic upgrade to every song to the highest quality level. Uh, so that's one feature about it. But the other part is you don't have to store the music on your phone anymore; you can listen to it in the cloud. Uh, and then they 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 have some algorithm that caches music to help reduce uh your downloads but uh, it also reduces space on your phone uh, and you also get access to uh itunes radio which is their version of like pandora or slacker uh that is it's uh, ad it, it ad free so you don't have to pay anything for ads like a free user would and i liked all of those things about it what uh, if you were to upload
1: a bunch of flack files
2: uh, it, it, uh pff, can't talk today uh, iTunes has to be able to read it and see it, which I don't think they can oh. read FLAC. So yeah, that
1: sucks. Yeah, it would be well, such a minor change for them to make that possible. Why wouldn't yeah. they? I mean, iTunes, uh, the, their music's no longer copy protected anyway, right. in any way. So there's not like some sort of a technical reason in that regard why they wouldn't want to support FLAC. I think people yeah. are moving toward this. I think there's a growing sentiment among people out there. Well, at least among older people, I think younger people are just too ignorant to know that the music they're listening to really just, does yeah. sound like shit, but I think there's a growing movement out there to get away from this highly compressed digital audio and yeah m p three as evidenced, as evidenced by Neil Young's pono system, which he is working to bring to the fore. Have you seen that no i It's a special player that's, uh, from a hardware and software perspective, designed to play ultra-high-fidelity audio, and they're going to have an app store that sells this extremely high-quality audio. I mean, I think that the player has something like 128 gigabytes of storage, and you're going to be able to put, like, 200 songs on it. That's how high resolution. <laughs> yeah, that's how well, high resolution this audio is going to be. And everyone well, I, who's listened to it has said this. Ju- I can't articulate how it feels to listen to this audio. It sounds so good. I can't. I can't put it into words how it is uh, to listen to this. Yeah, my issue with that is I bought into Super Audio CDs.
2: I, I bought a, a Sony Super Audio CD player and several albums, and, uh, and it was awesome to have. 5.1 surround i could sit in the middle of my room and pick out each instrument around me like i was on stage with them and it sounded great but it died so quickly to where my player really became a waste and then one day it stopped working and you can't buy them anymore because they discontinued the whole whole thing well but i think that so that's, that's my weird. i word. can
1: understand why you'd have a bad taste in your mouth as far as like alternative formats are concerned uh, after that experience, but I think this the context here might be a little bit different because you're not going to have to depend on record companies to produce physical CDs with mm. SACD. It's is it S-A-C-D? Yeah, SACD? yeah, SACD audio on them, which I think probably was a big problem if you had yeah. one of those players, you just couldn't readily find the uh, discs to buy, and right. In this case, you're not going to have to worry about that. Everything's going to be downloaded. There's going to be a store. They've got... uh, The problem is it's
2: it's going to be more expensive, I bet, than a traditional... You've got to remember that Walmart, when they made their move to get into the MP3 business uh, with their 88-cent MP3s, that forced everyone to lower the price on MP3s. And Of course, Walmart's not the first place you think of at all now for music. But when they did that, that forced the hand for Apple and the other people out there, Amazon, selling music to make it cheap. And the startup costs involved with getting a player to, to play. And, and I, I want high-quality audio. I totally agree. The first time I heard an MP3, I thought, you know, why are we compressing this uh, when we've already found digital versions of, uh, of audio with CDs? Why are we st- taking a step back? But
1: I'm, but anyway, 30, I'm 34 years old. And I think I am among the last few human beings walking the earth who remember what it was like to listen to music on vinyl.
2: Oh, I love that. I mean, I, I still have a couple old records and a record player, but I haven't used it in
1: so many years. There are just so many people out there who don't know what the experience of listening to vinyl on high-end audio equipment is like. Mm. Um, I forget who it was was listening to... Uh, they were listening to some Bob Dylan song, I don't remember what it was, on vinyl on really high end audio equipment. And the experience made them start crying. It was oh, really? so, it affected them so much. I mean, after years and years and years of just listening to this really compressed, I mean, the premise behind audio compression is that information from the audio is removed when it's assumed that the human ear can't hear that anyway. So it's wasted information, so it's removed, and the more compressed the audio is, the more information has been removed. And although, yes, from a technical standpoint, it could be said that the human ear can't hear certain things, it's very clear that, in spite of all of that, what it is that's being removed from the audio does affect you. And if that were to be left in, that would affect you also. It's unclear to me as to why if you can't hear it why it affects you but it does i mean the fact of the matter is i mean if you have ones and zeros streaming in random succession in a chain for the purpose of creating audio that is just never going to be able that's never going to be equitable to just analog audio that is uh totally and completely free to, you know, allow its waveform to go in any which way it wants to without any manipulation from anything. I mean, think of it this way. You know, no matter how many ones and zeros you have in rapid succession, no matter how quickly they're streaming, it's still ones and zeros. It's a hard on and off binary switch between the two. And so... You can't overcome that fact, even if you increase the number of ones and zeros that exist in five minutes of audio by using less compression, you still have ones and zeros. Imagine it this way. If you draw a circle on a piece of paper, um, if you zoom in on the edge of that circle, no matter how closely you zoom into that circle... Uh, no matter what the microscopic level is, the curvature of that circle remains the same. Um, now, and I know if you did that on paper with a magic marker, yeah, eventually you're going to see where the ink seeped into the fibers of the paper and whatnot. That's not what I'm well, talking that, about. I'm talking about, like, in, in our true analog world, imagine imagine a, a bubble floating on the surface of water. That's a true circle... Uh, in our analog natural world, no matter how closely you zoomed into the edge of that circle, you're still going to see a perfect circle. Uh, there's never going to be a, a degradation into hard edges at 90 degree angles, as you would have in the digital world if, if, if you tried to digitally manifest a circle. That's the best analogy I can come up with to explain why digital audio just cannot compare to analog audio off of vinyl on good audio equipment it just can't compare you can't account for you can't account for what gets removed in switching from that 1 to that 0 here here's
2: my example uh, have you ever held anything that was created by a consumer level uh 3D printer like say a you know rip off lego block or no. a little piece okay those are great. They do an awesome job of replicating you know, a 3D element. But you can tell the difference between something that was crafted on. Well, I just hung up on
1: Curtis. <laughs> Hi, you're on the air. Hello. Okay. Well, I hung up on Curtis so that I could answer a phone call. Yeah, I'm kind of dumb. Let me call him back. Uh, sorry about that. We got a call, and instead of adding them to the conference, I just hung up on you. Well, it's okay. I'm not really needed. Uh, <laughs> not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: uh, well, what I was going to say, just to finish that thought, uh, so that that 3D printed object on the consumer level, it, it's a replication of whatever item it is that you had in the 3D space, but they always have a little bit of a level of cheapness to them. It's going to be a long time until they could ever replicate a high production value product. Uh, printed or a created product and it's kind of how i think with analog and digital that it's kind of that same connection to where yeah you can tell it's the same thing it's a perfect reproduction but it always feels different uh when you change from a vibration to a code i mean you you got to lose something in it uh, i mean cd audio i remember all the big deal of when, when i got my first uh audio cd how excited I was for it, but then listening to the same album in vinyl, there was just something more natural to it. Uh, I really couldn't tell it as a kid the difference quality wise but the the natural feel of it just seemed i don't know i i, I it was better, just like with that 3 d object. you can tell when you hold that that consumer printed 3 d thing that it was it, that's where it came from. It doesn't have the same polish and
1: feel I spent a lot of my childhood listening to vinyl i I, I was actually When my great-grandmother, it wasn't when she died, but it was when she just wasn't able to live alone anymore, so we went and cleared out her house. (coughs) Pardon me. And uh, there were a shit ton of vinyl albums, and so I spent, and I was so fascinated by just the idea of this turntable going around in a circle that I listened to a lot of vinyl as a kid, not necessarily because I was like, oh, the audio fidelity, it was just cool, you know. I it, Rather than listening to cassette tapes, it was cool to listen to vinyl. It just You got this big disc, and you put it on there, and the needle, and watching it go around. I mean, it was just awesome. I, I don't know why. Oh, yeah. The mechanics of that I really loved. And so... Uh, I was such a douchey kid. As a result of uh, getting these records at my great-grandmother's house, I spent a large portion of my childhood listening to Henry Mancini and Dukes of Dixieland vinyl albums (laughs) on on this old Zenith cabinet thing that we had, Mm -hmm. which, by the way, we still have and sounds great. Um, But it was as I moved into adulthood and kind of stopped listening to vinyl that's when, you know, it really struck me uh, how badly our audio fidelity choices are now, uh, how badly they suck. By the way, um, this is off of Pono's website. Uh, how much will Pono music cost? The record companies set their own digital music prices label by label. High resolution digital albums at ponomusic.com are expected to cost between 14.99 and 24.99 and there may be exceptions. For this For an album. Yes, for an album. For this price, you get the best quality digital music available anywhere. You own these albums forever. They don't live only in the cloud, but also on your computer and backup disc. And you can play them anytime you wish on your Pono player or other compatible devices. We will also be offering many of your favorite individual songs. We'll let you know the pricing soon. That's what I was more curious about, is if I just want to go in there and buy one song, what's it going to cost me? I take that statement to say that they're going to try to push...
2: And this is probably for the artist, because there was an uh, article that came out recently talking about artists not getting really anything out of, of MP3 downloads. So I think this is probably more of a, an attack. Quality is important, but it's also an attack to try to get you back to buying albums instead of songs. Because I bet you'll be able to buy singles that are released, but I bet you can't buy unreleased uh, songs hey, from you're, an album.
1: Hey, you're on the air. Hi. Hi,
3: first-time caller. Ooh. neuropathy.
2: yeah (laughs) how's it going brother (laughs) first time listener
3: first time listener first time caller hey that was me uh, on the hang-up earlier but it was i was trying to call through skype oh were you on my on my tablet i
1: never heard anything from well what happened was rather than add you to the conference i just hung up on curtis but i still should have heard you and i didn't hear a thing
3: Mm, okay all i heard was ringing well that's
1: uh i don't know we'll have to write a letter anyway
3: (laughs) <laughs> okay. Well, it was, good. it was a good experiment. I, I always like to experiment with uh, high-tech and low-tech sometimes, too. But uh, anyway, I've got a new phone.
1: Oh, yeah? What's so,
3: that? Same thing, 900, 900 megahertz unit. And, oh, you uh, mean but, uh,
1: you got a new cordless phone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I, I, I uh, please tell the us more.
3: <laughs> well, it, uh, it, the other one sounded like crap, and this one hopefully sounds a little better.
2: Well, it sounds fine to me. Yeah, you do sound like you're in the 2000s at least.
3: Yes. Um, My sister has an iPhone, and it sounds like S, H, and the rest of it. Mm. You know, I I guess
1: it's always just been the case that the iPhone doesn't make a very good phone. It it does a lot of other stuff really well, but that's always been my opinion.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a great smartphone. smartphone. Play, Play on it. She'll play on it. You know, for like, I and mean, it's such a small screen. And her, her husband has a a Samsung, and he, you know, his voice quality. Is, they're on the same network. They're both on Verizon. It doesn't make yeah. Sense.
2: No. I've never been happy with call quality. Like, I, I I haven't really noticed a major difference so far on the Samsung. And to be honest, I never thought I would use the wristwatch to make phone calls. But if I'm all alone in a room, clearly don't care to share my conversation with everybody around me in speakerphone fashion. But the the smartwatch actually does a really good job of making calls too.
1: Um. Yeah. I, I, now, what, is, how, what does that entail? Do you just have to have a Bluetooth earpiece or whatever?
2: No, it actually has a speaker and a mic on it. Really? Yeah. So, like, if, if someone's calling me, and I've already done this several times, and I I, I kind of promised myself I wouldn't become that guy who <coughs> Uses the, the watch as my, my phone, but my phone's been in the other side side of the room. I see the call come in. I'll hit it on my phone and start talking to him. And I think I'll go send it over to the phone and finish there. But it's actually pretty easy just to keep the keep the call on the watch.
1: It's so. just the you know the having to have it married to the phone that just seems to me like it's kind of uh, yeah. You know, I've always well, got my phone does. with me anyway.
2: I mean, it's it's nice because like, when I'm, when I'm in the car now uh, and I pair my my phone with the stereo, it's kind of cool to be able to control uh, the music by the watch. And also, if I have my headphones in and my phone in my pocket, I can use the watch to do that. But I can also put music on the phone and or sorry on the watch, and I can walk away and not be paired and still listen to music. I can't make phone calls, uh, but. You know, it's still tracking all my fitness stuff. When I come back to the phone, it uploads any changes. So yes, it is still tied to it, but it can work somewhat independently. I think in probably two years, these things will be your. It'll be your phone. You think so, huh? Yeah. I don't think there's
1: enough bat. I don't think battery technology has come far enough for that to be the case. Unless they find some way to build like a, a bendable battery that can actually be in the wristband then you can have some physical well, area for a larger battery to exist. But, I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the problem. I mean, a battery, to have, to have more milliamp hours, a battery has to be bigger physically. Yeah,
2: it's well, there's, there's some simple. new technology. Uh, I, I almost grabbed the article to, to look at for today, but th- there, there's some new battery technology that's specific to…
1: Uh, really? Yeah. Plutonium. Plutonium will have nuclear reactors on our wrists. Yeah. I don't see what the hell—there what, what, couldn't be any health problems associated with that. No, I, none at all. I, I don't see an issue with it. I don't need my hair. Did you know that—I um, don't know why this just popped into my head, but I remember taking apart a smoke detector as a kid. Did you know that your oh, smoke detector has radioactive americium in it?
3: You said you're 32. You have another— Four, maybe five years to live.
1: Uh, I'm thirty four, so make that two or three uh, years. Yeah. Well I'm gonna
2: ask that have to ask you to do some more episodes quickly because we have to have the show going on.
1: Yeah. I mean that just seems a little crazy to be shipping out devices yeah. to people that have radioactive materials in them, you know? It's, it's in a little
3: it's in a little metal can. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's very recognizable because it says do not open. Yeah. Do not you know, and, and all that other stuff and you're you know, in actuality, you're supposed to take them to some place that's set up for. Uh, although I think the, the more newer ones have uh, less americium in them, so they're you just toss them in the trash. Mm-hmm.
2: So they're less effective.
3: Yeah, <laughs> the worst thing is to collect like twenty of them and then put them all in together. it's like, it's like alkaline batteries. You're better off just throwing a you know a few here and there, dispersed in the in the trash, than having a couple thousand. Why? Together. Uh, just bad things happen. You got all those, you got all that stuff there in one spot. It's, uh, dilution's the solution except for radiation.
1: Hmm. I think I'm going to start living by that philosophy. Dilution is the solution. I'm going yeah. to, uh, have shirts printed and, uh,
3: <laughs> yeah, we'll I, see where that goes. It's, it's a chemist's, uh, a, a view of the world. It's not a, uh, radio physio- physicist's. View of the world. I don't, I don't believe that's the correct uh, approach. But uh, hmm.
1: so neuropathy. Uh, what what do you want to talk about today? Nutrition. Oh really?
3: Yeah, I'm I'm low carb. I lost 35 pounds. Really? In about uh, two months. This was a couple of years ago. What do you eat? Oh. Uh,
1: Wait a minute. So you started the diet a couple of years ago?
3: Oh yeah, I'm, and I'm maintaining the way. It's it's not a diet. It's a lifestyle. Well, yeah, you know,
1: it, of, it, I mean, yeah, that is a lifestyle change. I mean, people don't realize, you know, if you're going to go on a low carb diet, a lot of people don't realize how much shit that you currently eat that you will no longer be eating. It's a pretty long list.
3: <laughs> it's amazing. It, it really is. But uh, and it's and it's not that low carb. It's it's like under 100 grams per day. But you're you're not eating bagels and.
1: So you're in ketosis?
3: No, 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 not at all. No? No, it's, it's on the edge, and I consider that uh, a good thing because you don't get you know, twisted around thinking you've got to eat this way all the time or eat that way all the time. You just It's, um, it's a mindset in terms of uh, ignoring certain foods and eating other foods, and your body will control how much you need to put in your mouth it's it actually has a sensor except for carbohydrates there's no sensor
1: hmm. it's broken um well you know i really am a fat pile of shit and so i need to uh i've been kind of considering doing a low carb type of thing although i've uh i have in the past advocated in favor of people trying out something called raw meal which i do take a lot of uh, I'm taking more of it now than I have recently which sh- if I just used more of this If I just would replace maybe two of my meals every day with this on a consistent basis I think I would be really thin and healthy
3: um, Yes, and but you've, you've got to understand what blood sugar is doing and that's the control mechanism for the body When your blood sugar is in that magic range, you can eat certain things and have it swing up a little bit and swing down, but you don't get that mid-afternoon or late-afternoon sag where you need a whole pot of coffee to get your body running again.
1: Well, this stuff has a lot of things in it that are supposedly really great for regulating blood sugar.
3: Blood sugar. But that combined with potentially even a, a reduced carbohydrate intake would get things in really good control and that's mm. the magic all the carbohydrates you eat turn to sugar in your body right i don't care which and how much they all have to get converted to sugar first and then it's either put in the muscles which if you're working out that's great but you can't still can't use up that many carbohydrates in you know an hour of working out compared to shoveling 4 or 500 grams of carbohydrates in they don't they don't match up so the body turns it into triglycerides and then it goes into fat just saying
1: well um so the point here is everyone listening uh get on the atkins diet and Uh, and, (laughs) stock just went up in atkins
3: (laughs) and atkins has phases and that first phase is uh semi-ketosis or ketosis but then it 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 spreads out to a more uh, increased carbohydrate intake and uh Good carbs, not not sugar, not. Well, I've white heard people. Say, I've
1: heard people say that this diet, a low carb or no carb diet, uh, will actually expose the kidneys to extremely high levels of nitrogen and essentially destroy your kidneys. What do you think about that?
3: Uh, BS. Really? But yeah, it's it's just a matter of making sure that you're not. It's not a high protein diet. I, just, and I unfortunately I have to. I have to fess something up. I eat fat. I eat more fat than I ever have in my life. Well,
1: if you're on a low-carb diet, what else are you going to eat? There's not much left other than Styrofoam.
3: Well, protein, but excess protein gets turned to sugar. by the. Wait, can I
2: eat Styrofoam? Because I would.
3: Uh, You can chew it and
1: swallow it. Now, what happens after that? I don't know.
3: Newspaper and tree bark, I think, are real popular in North Korea. But uh, I was going to
1: say, cool. what is it with the tree bark in the North Koreans? Every time I hear about starving Koreans, the next thing you're going to hear is tree bark. There are
3: certain tree barks that are edible. You can actually hmm. eat. Um, and I, I have a book on survival, and you know, you look up the things you can eat, and it's. I've been watching
1: barks. a lot of videos recently about North Korea. I'm just. Oh, fascinated yeah. by that place. You Looking for
2: a move.
3: <laughs> I don't. I don't think their high tech gadgets are quite as advanced as the ones. That, I mean, I, no, but no but I Michael
2: mean. would be a god among men. There.
1: You need to go watch on YouTube the Vice, and I can't recommend the Vice channel enough. I mean, they've got just so many amazing documentaries. They go to so many weird places in the world and cover so many weird uh, examples of human behavior. And, uh, one of the more interesting episodes is the one where, uh, I think his name's Shane Smith goes to North Korea and, um, oh shit, what was I gonna, oh yeah, and so he goes into, of course, as a foreigner, when you go to North Korea, you do not just incidentally go anywhere. Every single move you make from the hotel you stay in to the places you're taken to, the meals you eat, where you eat those meals... The people you end up speaking to along the way, everything is extremely choreographed. Nothing is incidental. And um, along the way, as they were taking him around the country, one of the places he went to was, you could say, a like c- computer lab, I guess, of some sort. And there were people sitting at all of these computers and... They were just randomly clicking on the screen and touching their keyboard from time to time and moving the mouse around, but they weren't doing anything. None of these people were actually using the computer. They are all just sitting there. This is how naive and stupid the North Koreans are. They really think that an American's going to walk in that room and see this and, be, and think, oh, yes, they're using their computers. <laughs> I mean, they're so stupid. What would but, have been awesome
2: is if it was a World of Warcraft mining farm.
1: Well, the people of North Korea are so sheltered and cut off from everything and uneducated naive about how the world really works that the North Korean government must think that everyone is like that. And so, that an American is going to come in there and see these people just randomly clicking on the title bar of some window that's open and yeah. think, ah, oh, yes, they're doing, they do, they, they too have computers with the internet. And he comes to this one guy who actually is on the internet, actually is using it. And, uh, they stop at him, of course, and have him talk to that guy. And the guy looks up and he's like, ah, oh, yes, hello, I'm, Looking for my papers. Uh, I have papers for scientific research. I do, and I, it's just such a creepy place, man. I, I just, uh, I recommend that the Vice Guide to North Korea. Available on YouTube for free. Yeah. Now, is Vice are they
2: are they connected to, uh, oh, uh, MTV? <clears throat> I don't know.
3: It sounds like there's no unemployment in North Korea. There are are always jobs. You either have a job watching somebody or you have a job that's being watched.
1: And you're paid in rice rations. Yeah,
3: it all works out perfectly.
1: You know what I get really sick of is every time you talk about something like North Korea and the atrocities there, or you talk about the Soviet Union and the atrocities there under Stalin— there's always some asshole who comes out of the woodwork and says, Well, man, that's not really communism. The way they're doing things, that's just not really the way communism is supposed to work. Okay, well then show me an instance in the world through through the last century and a half of human history. Well, I guess you could only say within the last century of human history. Where communism has dominated a political landscape, a social landscape, an economic landscape... hasn't wound up being an oppressive state where people are essentially treated like cattle and shot like cattle. I mean, Mm. show me where that's ever happened. I mean, I I think we have a pretty consistent communistic experience everywhere it's tried in the world. I get so sick of hearing people say that shit. And it's always some privileged white fucking fat American who says it too. Some fucking (laughs) American who has no idea how the rest of the world really lives. Fuck these people.
2: Yeah, well, there's not many people in America who really do know how the rest of the world lives, are there? I mean, unless you've traveled.
1: I mean, it's. I mean, like, imagine you're a little girl and you're in Stalin's Soviet Union and. You are being used in a poster campaign. It's a propaganda campaign. One of the most famous posters of Stalin, one of the most famous pictures that was used as propaganda during that era, was of him holding a little girl on his lap lovingly, the father of the nation, Stalin. Uh, Everybody should just love this man because he loves you. Look at this little girl. She's smiling. She seems happy. What could this guy do? Well, I mean, even this little girl's father ended up being rounded up by the secret police in the middle of the night and taken off and killed. I mean, Americans just do not understand how the rest of the world has lived. It's it's always some punchable hipster douchebag that says, that's not really how communism supposed to work. It just annoys the fuck out of me. I don't even argue with these people on YouTube. There's no point. Well, I, I think with all of those
2: systems, like we've talked in the past about how the U.S. isn't truly... Capitalist system. So I'm sure that the reverse holds true too that people in other countries really do not understand the issues and problems that plague us in America.
1: Yeah, there's that
2: too. I'm not not trying to compare saying one is better than the other. Obviously, I like where we're at. I wish we could get closer to a a, a pure system of of capitalism, but it's not going to happen. Just like you're never going to have a true communist environment or socialist, uh, never going to have true anarchy or uh, a true, uh, situation where, uh, it's laissez-faire.
1: Neuropathy, you got anything else, brother?
3: No, uh, and I'm going to give a plug to, uh, Mr. Nori. He had, uh, uh the, this, uh, Nora Gidgoudis was her name and she was the one who, uh, advocated this, uh, diet, dietary approach, nutritional approach, controlling blood sugar, reducing carbohydrates, and, uh, Living life off of the
1: fat of the land, so to speak. I'm hey, sure. I'm sure a lot of what she said was valuable, but I mean, isn't ju- isn't it just telling that you got this information off of Coast?
2: Well, that's what I was going to ask. Something that's truly legitimate was shown on that
1: channel. Well, or, I or guess talk I'm, about. I'm referring more to the degradation of Coast as an entertainment oh, vehicle. I mean, yeah, just I a, understand. And
3: this you know, was three years, This was three years ago. Oh. Three years ago. So this was. It's been a while.
1: So you lost thirty five pounds because of Coast. Yes. Yes. Well, you know... And,
3: and many hundreds of dollars as well, at 15 cents a day.
1: <laughs> you know, it is a little more expensive to live on a low-carb diet, though, I believe, right?
3: Uh, no, because you're you're eating less. You're eating the those fat calories or... Uh, I'm sorry, those uh, grams of fat have more calories in them, so you're getting more energy from less amounts of food. Hmm. And I'm talking about good fat. I'm talking about the butter and uh, coconut oil and... Uh, you know, Again, I'm not trying to make a commercial for this thing, but it's it's it makes sense. And I've, I've got a scientific background, and I said to myself, why didn't they ever teach the fact that you can live off of fat? You didn't need to eat sugar, wheat, and all the other potatoes, and all the beans, all the uh, things that have carbohydrates in them. And it's true. You, you can live very comfortably on that on that kind of uh, diet for years and years. And well, you seem, play.
1: you seem as though you know a lot about this and I'm sure there will be people listening to this show who also are fat asses like me and who may have questions about hmm. this diet. Would you like to uh, give people some, uh, way to contact you if they have further questions? You sound like something of an expert.
3: Um, I'm not, but I, I feel that I could direct people maybe to the experts. There are lots of low carb, uh, podcasts and, uh, websites online.
1: Well, I'm uh, sorry, but you're not allowed to plug other podcasts. I, Thank you, sir. That. I bid you adieu.
2: <laughs> this, this sounds like a, a
1: good thread for a Bell Gab. Yes. That yeah, actually, that there. would be good. Why don't you go to Bell Gab and create a low-carb thread?
3: Oh, I see what you're saying. Sure. Yeah, that would be sense. good.
1: You could sort of be there encouraging people, you know, giving advice. And, and
3: folks don't actually have to be uh, an official member of Bell Gab to go in and look at the low-carb right. thread.
1: No, but they do have to be white, so there is that. Uh,
3: uh, it works for all colors. It's, oh. it's great for everybody. It, everybody loves it.
1: Okay. All right. Well, I'll be interested to see that. And, hey, guys, uh,
3: Friday night sounds good, too, if you want to switch back. but uh, What do you mean by that?
1: You mean we're tanking through?
3: here? No, 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 no. I think Saturday afternoon, especially with the weather changing, uh, I mean, we've had our you know first sunshine in four days now, and it's... So you'd
1: rather be doing something else other than listening to us, is what you're saying? Thank you.
3: Well,
1: you, <laughs> well, you could be like me. I was out working in it earlier.
3: You can't cut grass in the, at eight o'clock at night because the neighbors don't like it too much.
1: I wish I had a home where I have to mow the yard. I miss mowing. That's Do you want to come mow mine? That's uh, if you play. If you pay for plane fare, I will come mow your yard. Yes. We. That's my least favorite thing to do. I have to say I find I find mowing to be therapeutic. I find it to be something that allows you to collect your thoughts. It's almost meditative.
2: Really? I I, I
1: don't see it that way. I Really? You I, just, really, you I just, really dislike mowing. When you're mowing the whole time, you're just thinking to yourself, don't they make a chemical I can put on the grass so it stops growing? Don't they make a chemical that I can put on the grass so it stops growing? Don't they make a chemical I like can... Well, just like when you guys were talking food, I kept thinking, I wish there
2: was a pill I could take every day to not have to eat.
1: Well, uh, thanks for no- to neuropathy for the call. We really do appreciate that. Oh, yeah. And uh, if you would like to be on the show, the number to call is 573-837-4948. It's 573-837-4948. This is the spec sheet, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. Stick around.
3: Good, I can my
0: Call the spec sheet now at 573-837-4948. This is a very special edition of the Spec Sheet with Curtis Thornton. On this broadcast, each listener will receive a complimentary pre-owned 10-gigabyte IBM IDE hard drive. No need to call about the drive. We have your information. To speak with Curtis, call now at 573-837-4948. That's 573-837-4948. And now, here's the Spec Sheet.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah, that number is 573-837-4948, 573-837-4948. This is The Spec Sheet, a podcast about technology. And it's May 3rd, 221 Central, and we're live. At least if those times and dates correspond to what you're uh, actually living in at the moment, we're live. Otherwise, we're not, and I just lied to you. Um, so, Curtis, you would like to talk about well, you sent me a link to a YouTube video, but I wasn't able to click play on it until I was done playing this other stuff. So, I guess and I'll and there's
2: there's also an article I sent to you uh, related
1: with it. So. Well, before we do, we got a caller. Hi, you're on the air.
4: Hey, gentlemen, how are you today?
1: Uh, lovely. Hi, hey. who's this?
4: Gatune.
1: Oh, hey, what's up, brother? It didn't got sound tuned. like you. <laughs> Hi, hey, what? Are you, I I noticed you said in the chat room got tuned that you don't think Verizon's ever going to allow any of the new Oppo phones on their network? you really believe that?
4: I, I don't think they ever will, because I don't think... Uh, because Oppo... Uh Really embraces the idea of being able to be part of that developer community and embraces third party, you know, cyanogen mod and helping people root their phones. And I don't think Verizon will ever subscribe to that. I think they're, 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 too cl- they're still too closed off of a network for that kind of stuff to happen. Hmm.
1: Yeah, but I mean, it's so easy to get a Verizon phone and put cyanogen mod on it. I mean, they had that Verizon has to know there is a percentage of phones on their network that are running CyanogenMod, which is what the Oppo devices yeah. are going to ship with. So, what's the beef?
4: I mean, the same thing with mine. I mean, I, I'm running CyanogenMod on my uh, Note too, but I mean, that's a very big difference than you know saying, "Hey, yeah, we certify this Samsung with this software, and if you break that, technically you're losing your warranty." Then bringing on a company that. Right on their front website says here how here's how to root your our phones.
2: Yeah, but to, isn't the only thing that Oppo has to do is add the chip to be able to to work on that cell tower?
4: Or is there more to it? You have to add some stuff, but it, the new 4G market, all that technology is the same whether you're on AT&T or everything, all that that I thought that there was still something you needed
2: uh, to to be on uh Verizon's network. I thought you still needed. I, I thought the Oppo devices declined to include the chipset needed to be on and, and antenna to be on uh, Verizon's
4: it, network. When you, it, it, yeah, I mean you can get an unlocked 4G style, you know GSM style phone and put it onto Verizon's network, but it has to be one of their pre-certified. So like, you could buy an unlocked Note two and put it on the network. Mm-hmm. But it does have to have that CDMA chip built into it so you could use their 3G network. Because their phone calls run through their 3G network. They don't run through their 4G network. They don't run right. through their lower level networks. It all runs through their 3G network. I so. thought with
1: LTE, everything was happening over LTE and uh, CDMA was non existent, essentially.
4: Uh, it is, but it is not the. like. Um, because I have an LTE 4G card in my phone, I can actually talk on the phone and browse the web at the same time for the first time under Verizon's banner because right. it will actually drop the phone calls into the 3G market, mm. and that signal range, and let the uh, network run in the 4G LTE. Mm. So, Isn't it sad
2: that you just now are able to do that?
4: <laughs> yeah, it was sad but to be honest with you it never really affected me that much i really never did um and it wasn't here but maybe two or three weeks ago that i was using my uh um i don't know it was just um thursday i just happened to be using my hotspot on my phone because i needed to have access and i got a phone call and i answered it and my hotspot kept working you know that was the first time since I've had this phone. I've had it over a year that I've actually had to do that. Yeah, see, I've, I've always
2: loved on my AT&T being able to be on a phone call and then do a quick lookup of something.
1: So let me be clear about this. It's, I mean, is it is it certain now at this point? I mean, we know that this Oppo phone is not going to run on Verizon's network. I mean, is that a done deal? Yeah, that's the way uh, I
4: I I have not seen any certification notes saying that they that they're going to ever allow it now. So you know, what's it going I, to be?
1: Just Sprint and T-Mobile? T-Mobile and
4: AT&T a- AT and T because huh. AT and T support straight up uh, unlocked phones. So.
1: Well, wait a minute. You're saying? Did you just say T? Is AT and T allows unlocked phones?
3: Yeah.
5: Okay. Yeah, well, that's
1: do. pretty contradictory to what I've been reading on AT and T's website. i It's my understanding that. AT and T no longer allows manufacturers to uh, build devices for their network that ship with unlocked bootloaders.
2: Now, I think that's true for their the people they're with, but like when I went to to connect to the the next plan, I could bring an unlocked phone to it, and they actually gave me a discount to do that.
4: Like if, if you, AT and T support. Anything, you could go to the Google Play Store and buy a, a, a Google Play Edition telephone and hook it to your AT&T service. Yeah, or you can Which use is, like a Nexus,
1: you know. Locked. There's just a lot of ambiguity in this regard. You know what needs to happen? Your phone carrier needs to just be like your cable company. Just a dumb data pipe, and that's the end of their involvement in your life. Complaining yeah, about cable this companies all the don't time. don't want to be that. Well they don't companies. want to be that but they've become that you know they don't always get what they want and I think that uh, I just want to I'm sorry I, I something's gonna to have to change here I, I think that I need to be given total freedom to use whatever device on the network I want to use I need to be able to use my bandwidth as I please and uh, and if I need more bandwidth I can pay for it that's fair and-
4: you should be able to, not only the device that you want to use, you should be able to run the operating system on that that you wish to
1: use. Exactly. And this nonsense about, well, we're protecting the integrity of our network and your user experience as a customer. That's why we don't. Bullshit. I don't buy it for a minute. I'm I, I just I, I'm really getting pretty fed up by there's this. A,
4: there's licensing fees in the back end. You don't get your phone on my network unless you're paying enough.
1: Mm-hmm. You know? Well,
2: yeah, well, I think our whole system is ridiculous. They need to, again, just like we've talked about with the Internet and Internet access, it needs to be just an open Wild West where whoever can provide service cheap and reliably can win service. Or where uh, they win customers if they do that. Well, there's uh, so
1: much government regulation, though. I mean, we would have a lot more competition in the cellular market but for all of the government regulation that exists. Right. That's the yeah, one thing. On the one hand, I want the government to step in and in certain regards tell cell carriers what they can and cannot do. But on the other hand, it wouldn't be so much of a problem if the government weren't in there regulating in so many other ways to begin with. We wouldn't yeah. we wouldn't really have to care about what the government comes in and tells cell carriers what to and not to do because we would have so many choices that it wouldn't matter. You could just quit if you don't like it.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Maybe onto something. I mean, is the regulation causing the problems now? It is. Is the regulation that started started uh, mutating the companies to find ways around the regulation so much that now that that's the whole point?
1: I mean, imagine I think- the, imagine you wanted to just throw start throwing up towers and create a cell phone company. Imagine how much red tape you're going to have to yeah. cut through. Yeah. Well, I I think that the companies
2: lobbied to get the legislation to be able to run the way they want to more than try to adjust themselves for the environment they're in. Because in America, for a long time, uh, telecommunications uh, companies, specifically Ma Bell and the whole AT&T world, uh, have ruled uh, way before we were even born.
1: Well, Gatun, uh, as soon as you got on the air, I sort of uh, pushed you down this road of the oppo devices and talking about that what was it you really called about
4: i'll just call them doc (laughs) oppo just as good as it i mean i think they're they're so good i mean physically the 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 hardware the software that they put into it the openness in the developer communities i love all of that features of oppo
2: if i I can get the find seven right now which hasn't even been released yet the uh, the seven a has been released overseas, but if I could get the seven, I would have bought that phone uh, what do you th- have you guys kept up at all with the whole issue with the one plus one and Oppo and how it's come out that basically the one plus one is just a marketing tool being used by oppo and what in uh, what what do you mean they're selling it at, at cost or something n- no, so the uh CEO of OnePlus One in November left Oppo officially, but I think it's come out pretty reliably, if not fully confirmed yet, that Oppo decided to try to rebrand and market itself while still uh, doing everything Oppo is doing because they, they've been successful, but they want to get into, uh, into the U.S. market better in, in Europe. So basically... Uh, rebrand themselves of a di- as a different uh disruption company and let one of their guys go over and run it uh I mean everything about the one plus one was manufactured by oppo uh so it, it from the the deeper they get into it it's looking like oppo or one plus one was never a phone or company that was disconnected from oppo. It is just a way to try to to rebrand themselves in a different way at a and uh create fake uh, choices which I still thought but for
1: uh, what purpose? I don't don't get it
2: because it's easier to get into different markets because Oppo is known as uh, a a Chinese company and OnePlus one or the OnePlus was trying to push themselves as a disruptor of everybody uh, and Oppo doesn't really treat themselves as a market disruptor uh, so it's all marketing I mean it's just like any other company that comes out with a premium brand and then they also come out with products that are very similar, if not the same, minus warranty type is, uh, parts to it or support uh, at a cheaper price, but as a more market-attacking company that can take risks that Oppo can't. But it's really the same
4: company. Hmm. Well, so on that same note, there was a um, okay. Have you ever heard of Meraki Networks? They're a wireless network cloud-based no. uh, controller for wireless and you know security hardware. Hmm. The two guys that founded that are from Cisco. And guess who owns Meraki now? Cisco. Cisco bought them back. So well, it's so like- here's the thing. They, they Fisher probably,
1: Price.
2: No? It, they probably never didn't own them. They probably were funding everything. Because that's how, I mean, companies all over the world do this. It's a standard thing. I mean, Coca-Cola does it when they want to brand water to people, but they don't want to have the connection to Coke because they want to be a little bit... They, they want to step outside the typical marketing structure that they would use for a Coke product then. You know, they release water under a different brand, but uh, everyone this, this, gets excited. This, and then someday they announce, and they, oh, hey, we bought back this. But in reality, they owned it the whole time. There was never
4: – they never – This is a thing. The two guys who left Cisco, uh, they got a very big, you know, like basically – they got a very big bonus for being such great engineers in their company for so long. And they got these huge bonuses. They left the company. They created their own company. And it's kind of almost a risky venture moving into this cloud-based controller world because back when they started it, you know, it was five, six years ago, seven years ago. That would have been kind of a risky venture. And it ended up proving itself. So Cisco buys it back. And they have a perfectly good division of their company added. And no risk to Cisco, hardly at all.
2: Yeah, see, I don't buy it. I don't. I think that everything you just told me is perfect ways to market your your new venture. And then if it fails, it's not on Cisco. I mean, it, oh, it, just... it costs them money. I mean, I, I fully yeah. believe that that they they talked about these great engineers, how they're leaving. The tech industry gets excited about these guys are going to go do their own thing. And in reality, the whole thing had the protection of of Cisco behind it. It was a. a a win-win. That's why I think the 1 plus 1 is. It's a win-win for uh, for Oppo to do it until it came out quicker than they wanted it to because at some point then it would have been announced that, hey, this is all the same company, but that's after Oppo had, or sorry, uh, the 1 plus division of it had gone out and said, hey, we're not the big guys. We're the little guys giving you what you want. Uh, and it's been a success. Or if it failed, then Oppo can say, "Oh, hey, that One Plus that was dumb, wasn't it?"
1: But I mean, does uh, this does any of this matter though? I mean, if they release a great device and it gets into the market and it's successful, who gives a shit?
2: Yeah. Well, the thing is that the the One Plus promoted itself as a lot of different things, and what, what the only reason I didn't consider that more heavily is there's a lot of issues with the uh, the review devices that people got with the camera and other things being buggy hmm. that they're being promised would be. Solved before it was released, but it was months before it was going to be released. So I don't, I I didn't want to be a beta tester for something uh, that I'm going to be using every day as my phone. So
1: it's amazing those types of problems would actually exist. I mean, at this point, we've been making Android devices for so long, you would think that they're just well, uh, there wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> well, they're using a Sony
2: camera for it too, which is kind of funny. Hmm. Yeah. So ha- how is it they weren't able to? And it's the same camera that's in the Oppo phones. I mean. It, if you look at a, a find seven A and uh, the one plus one, I guess in, in many different ways they're they're similar. the The body is different, and a few of the specs are uh, have some variation to it. But basically, it's a lower end find seven A, hmm. which I really like. The find, uh, I really would like to get it, but uh, it's so hard to to get one in America right now. So, got to,
1: You got anything else, brother?
4: Yeah, back on uh, on our beta testing world, uh, I got an update on our uh, Google Glass beta testing. Oh, boy. As I'm talking to you on the Google Glass again today. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool.
1: You know, I'm still not clear uh, on this. I keep reading everywhere that it has a bone conductor for the audio, and you say no. No. Well, I don't get why I'm reading that everywhere. I'm still seeing that.
4: And, you know, the same idea. It's gotten some bad press here recently. I mean, lots of bad press, to be honest with you. Because, I mean, everybody's, like a lot of the stuff I see pop up, even in my Google Now, it's all about, you know, what's the negatives and how it's failed. And wh- I'm like, hey, how could it have failed? It's not even out yet. <laughs> yeah. But, well,
2: have you seen where there there's an article talking about how it costs $80 to 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 create a Google Glass and they're selling it for $1,500. Wow, $1. really? Yeah, I don't know if that's yeah. been confirmed. but
4: I, I can see that the hardware, like if you were to break it down, the the actual hardware cost in it, like everything that's in it, probably didn't cost that much. It hasn't, but the development process and how it actually, you know, mm. all the software back in, which in the software side of it, they just... Uh, it hasn't been too long. The X, uh, XE 16 hit release, which is actually KitKat for the glass. And since then, I mean, almost every week since then, we've had an update hit. The updates are much more good now. I've uh, got a lot of better integration, uh, calendar integrations are really good now. Some of the camera integrations and being able to sync up, um, Much nicer doing the auto backups. Uh, You don't need Wi-Fi connections for backing up your data now, so that's kind of nice. You could do it over your phone if you want to. Uh, There's a couple of really cool things they're starting to do with it. And actually, I've noticed a lot of the little tiny slowness and glitchy bugs that I had when I was doing stuff, they're all gone now. Uh, we're actually starting with the one thing that I have a lot of problems with yet is I've tried to do some web browsing with it a few times and it's just the page load speed is just, I don't know if it's something with the buffering or something, but it just, it like it takes 10 years to load a web page. Well, How much RAM
1: does the thing have? How? What kind of processor does it have?
4: I actually don't know off the top of
1: my head what it is. Well, see, I mean, I'll bet you it's got a minimal amount of memory.
2: <laughs> yeah, I just, I'm trying to think, you know, because I, I, I used your Google Glass just a few weeks ago, and that was so weird. Like, I, I can't imagine what it's going to be like if those do take off, where everybody's looking off in different directions when you're having a conversation. How how much worse it's going to be than now, where everyone's looking down at their phone. uh yeah. It, 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 every, everyone's eyes and head is tracking something that no it's one like else can see. It's like that
1: Star Trek The Next Generation episode, the game, where uh, Riker goes to Ryza, and he is given this game by this alien chick, and the game is really uh, extremely addictive, and so he takes it back to the Enterprise, and he replicates a bunch of them and starts passing them around to people, and the whole crew ends up getting addicted And uh, then what happens is this little tiny spaceship with utterly and completely inferior weapons technology basically orders the Enterprise to stand down and be boarded. And uh, Captain Park Card is just agreeing. He's like, all right, we'll do that, (laughs) you know, because (laughs) the game has just totally eaten into everybody's brain. And, of course, Data Saves the Day. It just sort of reminds me of uh, that world. If you've never yeah. seen that episode of The Next Generation, the game, I'm sure you can find it pretty easily. Yeah, I'll have to uh,
2: i have to look that one up because it sort of sounds familiar, but I can't remember everything. Uh, does Riker have a beard? That's what matters. Does during he have it. what? Does he have the beard during that episode? Yes. Oh, well, then I'll watch it. Okay, yeah. You don't like the non-beard uh, portion but, of the series? It's funny. My kids who kn- don't really know a lot about Star Trek they just know if I'm watching an episode, which is usually on uh, BBC America, within the first few moments, I say it's a beard episode I'm watching, and so that <laughs> they, they now know to associate uh, Riker's beard to a quality of Star Trek episodes.
1: Well, I think it simply is indicative of the fact that you have gone beyond season one. Is all it really means? Because well, I think the, he had the beard size, at the
2: beginning of season two, didn't? Well, it? well, and the size of the beard too helps dictate the uh, how good the episode oh is. It does. <laughs> I mean look at I'm pretty sure there's stuff on the web about it too, but but he, he's more involved in the episode, the bigger his beard is. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's great. Okay. All right,
2: man. And that's uh,
4: season five, episode six. The
1: game. The game.
4: The game. The game. Sixth episode you know, of the series, so
1: to
2: to go uh c- completely uh Star Trek or, or Trekkie on you uh I really think they missed the boat when, when they had the clone of uh, or the split version of uh, his beard, or his beard, sorry, I read, I read his beard in the chat room, uh, of Riker. So you had his, his twin, who was uh, much more daring than he was, who went off to be a pirate, I think, ultimately. They really should have done a spinoff series of that character. Of of a guy who was former Federation, who now is in the pirate world or the underbelly of well, what happened was he
1: Riker nine years prior in the episode nine years Mm -hmm. prior to the time in the episode, uh, Riker was on a foreign planet and well all the planets are foreign planets he was on (laughs) some planet and the planet had some sort of atmospheric conditions that would screw up the transporter. So as he was being transported, something happened and it caused a duplicate of him to be left on the planet and the duplicate didn't know that he wasn't the real Riker. He just thought that I'm Riker and the transporter messed up and here I am stuck on this planet and then nine years later they come back to the planet because they can only come into the planet... They can only beam down to the planet once every nine years because that's the atmospheric cycle that allows them to beam into the planet. And so then they go down there to the planet for some reason. I don't remember why they went there. And then they find Riker's copy, and he ends up coming onto the Enterprise. And uh, But I think he actually went on to pursue um, advancement in Starfleet. I don't think he, he went did. off to become a pilot. No, he did. Or a pirate.
2: No. no, he did. He went back into Starfleet, but he had a lower rank at that point than what Riker did, of course, because he didn't have the same career. And he just had lived a life of, I don't know if it was isolation, but just of taking care of himself where Starfleet wasn't for him. He disagreed with something. And (laughs) uh, B-Dub just said Riker was born on a porn planet. That would be awesome. Uh, But but anyway, that version of Riker, which he, he used a different first name, if I remember right, but he ended up leaving Starfleet, going out on his own, And I think there was some kind of story about how he was part of that uh, special forces within Starfleet 2 for a while because the original Riker was too. Uh, But he ended up leaving and went on to like with a pirate gang or something. Uh, Not not pirates, but, you know, the equivalent in the uh, Star Trek world of scavengers or whatever they would have been. Uh, But I just thought it was such a cooler storyline because I always liked Riker. He's one of my favorite characters anyway. But I would love to have seen that alternate world that was created or that, that, that Riker would have been a part of.
1: The fact that B-Dub said thought I said porn planet I guess means my noise gate is too aggressive. <laughs> 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 Cut off the beginning of the word foreign, I think, and made me sound like no, he said porn. I,
2: I think he just says porn on the brain.
1: Well, that's a given. So anyway, yeah. you sent me this link to this YouTube video that you wanted to talk about.
2: Yeah, and we, we can uh, kind of set it up before you play it. It's uh, about uh, basically was it Stanford, I believe, that had created a, a circuitry that is supposed to model the human brain better than anything has before. And there's a couple things that come up in the, the video, which we only had to play maybe the first minute of, uh, that I, I thought were just awesome to hear about the human brain, uh, about the, the wattage that it uses and the, the transactions, basically, I'm going to call them, that happen in the brain.
1: Let me read a little bit from this article. This is from GizMag. A group of engineers at Stanford has developed an iPad-sized, highly power-efficient way of simulating a million neurons and billions of synapses for as low as $400. The breakthrough could help both our understanding of the brain and help develop a new generation of bionic limbs— that are controlled by the patient's brain in real time with little effort at all. With its 100 uh, billion neurons, the human brain, possibly the most complex object in the known universe, can fully operate our bodies on only 20 watts of power. Our measly hand... I didn't know that. Neither. either. Me- <clears throat> our measly handmade microprocessors are still decades away from coming close, despite the fact that Performance per watt has been increasing exponentially over the years. Simulating a brain, and a human brain in particular, is a very enticing prospect. It would allow neuroscientists to learn a lot more about how our minds work, and it could have very interesting repercussions in both artificial intelligence and in creating ultra-low-power biomedical implants, among other things. So, that is uh, rather interesting. I guess I'll go ahead and hit the video here for a little bit and see what's going on with that.
5: If we compute like the brain, then we can develop technology that has power of the brain. And so that allows us to develop a robot that uses much less power for its computation. You can develop much more autonomous robots and your robots won't always be tethered to some large power supply.
3: Neurogrid is a system that can simulate a million neurons in real time. And that kind of power, which is teraflops, of computing power, is only available in supercomputers. And these supercomputers burn on the order of about a million watts. This is just to simulate a million neurons. Your brain has 100 billion, and the brain is using about 20 watts. What we've done is we've taken the same transistors. Instead of using them as digital logic, right? we use them as actually analog circuits. And we try to design a circuit such that a level of voltage corresponds to the level of voltage inside a cell. The level of current corresponds to the amount of synaptic input. So when you're done with all this, you've saved a lot of power. Not
2: now I think really, so with so this is the neurogrid board. You can go ahead and stop there. Uh, that video gave so much information that I don't think. I mean, I I didn't know uh, how much wattage the human brain is using. Uh, comparing that to a supercomputer, which he says is the the closest thing we have to replicating any of the processing power that the brain has, uh, and how many watts it's using in comparison, it it really brings into perspective how amazing the human brain is as a computational system. Uh, He mentioned in that uh, about they they started to use analog systems to bring down the wattage and to speed it up. And so coming back to our conversation earlier about music, it's funny how
1: analog systems are helping them do things faster with less power. Uh, I just worry that they're going to create these artificial brains and then they're going to become self-aware and then we're going to have a whole debate about consciousness and, and, well, how about and the ethics involved in it all, and blah, blah, blah. Here's what I think would be amazing.
2: They they, they create you know, brains that you know, do the equivalent of what you just called self-aware, but instead we find out that we're not self-aware either, that all of us are on some kind of program track. And right. Uh, I mean,
1: if we can create this uh, using silicon, then... Uh, and it were to become self-aware, then really that means we ourselves could be living within some sort of a simulation. Right. I think that would be the awesome discovery.
2: Uh, but to, to me, the, the thing that, like I said, I'm just so amazed at the fact that not even our own supercomputers of our current time uh, can come to a level that is anywhere close to what the human brain and body is doing to not only calculate but interact with its environment.
1: Especially my brain and body.
2: Exactly. Well, the the, the thing about it is that I don't know even if uh, we, we continue to exponentially grow our ability to uh, create uh, microprocessors and power systems that require less uh, energy, will we ever be able to compete with what was created naturally through evolution and, and you know, whatever, whatever other things you want to add into that.
1: That's very interesting. Um, do you know what the purpose of this is, though? I mean, what are they going to well, do with this?
2: The, I think their first thing is they want to build a true simulation of the brain because then they can start to mess with it and start to figure out why it does what it does. Because yeah. like, like global warming and uh, just climatology and they You're general, supposed to call
1: it climate change now. They've done away with that.
2: Right. Well, you're right. It, well, climate change, uh, which, which obviously climate change is real because it happens all the time, but uh, do the other, <laughs> other things happen? Uh, but, uh, for that, they have to have good simulations of the environment and all the factors that go into it. And it's even though they haven't created a perfect simulation yet, they've created simulations so well that they could, uh, start to make predictions on it. Basically, I I don't think I would trust it to say what's happening 20 years into the future, but you can use it to say what's going to happen, uh, two days from now or, or two hours from now a lot more accurately than they used to 30, 40 years ago. So, so that, that's where creating uh, simulations with as good of input as possible can give much better outcomes and predictions. And I think the same thing happens with brains. Uh, I, I think the whole wattage part of it is more of a, a challenge because they, they've seen now what the human body can do and why can't we create the same thing. Uh, ironically, if you think about it, uh, if the human brain is what's being used to create these, wouldn't it be limited to not be able to create something better than itself? Or could it be? I'm sorry, I was reading the chat room. What was your question? Uh, That if the the human brain works on, or the human body works on less than 20 watts of power, and it's got a hard limit on the amount of neurons and synapses in it, uh, isn't it kind of pretentious of us to say that we can create something using that that will be better than it? so that we're going to perfect ourselves in some way. Is anyone saying that, though? No, I'm just, no, no one is. I'm just, that that's a thought that comes up to me, that uh, it's like taking a computer system that you've programmed to uh, uh, do a loop 100 times, and once it gets past 100, it stops. Uh, well, it's not smart enough to be able to, to change its own programming unless you make it more complicated. Uh, so I just wonder, I think it's funny to think that us, these meek computers that we are, uh, that we're, Potentially going to create something that is better than us.
1: I think what they they're going to have to create in order for it to be truly, uh, in order for the opportunity to exist, for it to become self-aware, we're going to have to create something that doesn't require programming. You just flip it on, and it learns, and right. it, it just it it has various sensory inputs, audio, visual. Um, maybe we can give it the equivalent of uh, touch and taste and smell and just flip it on and let it do what it wants to do it will have no it might have some fundamental like base programming to make those various sensory inputs work but beyond that in terms of what it thinks about those inputs how it processes them how it reacts to them and how all of these things are connected to one another um, that would be something that it could just do on its own yeah. And it'd be really well, it interesting to, to see be. what happens. Well, the the thing is, though, I think I think about like like tools. You know, that the what
2: separates us from uh, a lot of the animal kingdom is our ability to use tools to uh, to make things easier on us. Monkeys, so, monkeys do that too, though. Well, yeah, they do. No, I well, yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, but you know, using a tool to create leverage and uh, the different things that we've you know throughout time we've modified. Yeah, they do end up making repetitive tasks easier but they don't make better humans. They just do one-off tasks. That's why I, I don't know if we'll ever get to the point of true artificial intelligence because we don't even know for sure that we have free will and the ability to uh, grow past ourselves. Uh, so if we don't know that, then how could we ever create something that could do the same thing we're doing and maybe even do it better than us? But where they just become tools, just like, just like computers are right now. They're tools that we use to, to solve real-world problems or simplify real-world tasks? Will we ever be able to create a true quantum computer that can know the answer to a question before the question even gets asked because it's able to calculate all possibilities immediately?
1: I think it needs to be just like a baby. You flip it on and then you could teach it. Just let it go? Yeah. You, you I was and
2: just watching Terminator 2 earlier. So uh, Were you?
1: Yeah, yeah so that maybe
2: that's what Arnold Schwarzenegger was.
1: I can't watch that movie without thinking about how... That kid in the movie, uh, John Connor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just like how he just absolutely went nowhere after that. and I mean, his life went to shit, and he ended up getting together with some girl who was like 10 or 15 years older than him, who I'm sure just spent every dollar he had and um, drugs and this and that. And I don't think he's doing anything now. Yeah, I,
2: he pops up every once in a while, but I think he's more of a cautionary tale than than anything. Mm-hmm. What bugs me is I heard they're they're kind of rebooting the franchise again with Arnold involved because I I really liked the last uh, Terminator Salvation movie. I, I was cool with it. I liked the idea of that was the first one that you actually thought John Connor could could stand up for himself and be the the person they kind of predicted he was going to be. Because watching Terminator two, you keep thinking this whiny kid is going to be the savior of the human race in the future against the robots. Uh, it just didn't make sense. But then Terminator salvation kind of made that more of a reality. Uh, and I liked the idea that he was freaked out because things changed and this wasn't something he had ever heard about in the past. So he knew that this wasn't the same, you know, the future wasn't going to follow the same arc. He'd always been told up to that point. And now they're going to reboot it back to where, uh, He's going to, uh, that Schwarzenegger's involved again, and they're going to create another trilogy. So everything that was good about salvation is going to go away, I believe.
1: Hey, you're on the air. Hi. Hey.
2: Hey. Hey. How are you? you?
5: Michael. How are you? I'm wonderful. I'm actually really enjoying this, uh, conversation with us, uh, oh, let's see how how I put it. Being self-aware.
1: Uh-huh. That's the aspect of all of this that fascinates me most is the possibility of this stuff becoming aware of the fact that it actually does exist and then watching how it reacts to that. Is, so, it, so is, it, inher- is it inherently evil, uh, is it evil or is it inherently good or does that just depend on what its environment is? Does it have a soul? Yes, yeah, so that's
2: the thing. because let, Let's say you did have artificial intelligence that was self-aware uh you couldn't apply morality to it because that's not i mean it would have to define its own morality based on inputs of the environment around it
1: well, Th- what do you those think? inputs including what it's taught by us,
2: just well, as you yeah, are but, taught
5: by your parents what to believe
2: yeah but but it could yeah, look at we're you
5: we're so far away from anything like that I mean yeah like we're astronomically far away from that i w- I would actually expect that the um sun would explode before we even reach this point. <laughs> I'm just (laughs) seeing where we currently stand.
2: Well, it's like seeing that the human brain only runs on 20 watts of power and a supercomputer ran on how many terawatts of power. I mean, there's such a gulf between there that the story uh, in that video is really cool to see what they're doing, but at the same time is one of the most realistic views of what you just said, that there's such a wide gap between what we can do and what we would have to do to create that world. I don't know. Give it 20
1: years. I mean, when things... When things uh, multipl- multiply at, at powers of two, you know, exponential growth really is something. It, it, yeah, it, I agree. Uh, it really sweeps things under the. Uh, it sweeps old inadequacies under the rug pretty quickly. Just give it a decade or two. Yeah, well, it also takes some uh, some kid at home who accidentally
2: uh, clicks the wrong button and creates some new idea that forces artificial intelligence to happen.
1: By the way, who is this? Where are you calling from?
5: Uh, this is Curtis
2: from Ohio. You
1: said
5: yes.
2: Cur- Curtis from Ohio?
5: Curtis from Ohio. I think we got
1: a problem
2: here. Now, now this is, uh, I was on a porn planet, and they weren't <laughs> able to, uh, to transport me correctly, and this is my my.
1: Imagine duplicate. a porn planet, like a planet where people are just having <laughs> sex everywhere and filming it. <laughs> That's all they do. You just walk down the street, and people are just humping next to you. You're just trying to go buy some Starbucks on this stupid porn planet what, <laughs> a, what, a use, like, what kind of economy what kind of an economy could you possibly have on a porn planet <laughs> and what time do people go to work do they work i, don't I think, I think so. you'd
2: always be working
1: anyway i'm sorry i go ahead I, I you sound uh like you've got some stuff you'd like to talk about we keep interrupting you i'm sorry
5: Oh no no it's absolutely fine. Uh, r- really I am just highly interested in this um you know the idea of like building like a self-aware artificial intelligence. Um, my background is heavily programming based as well as philosophy based so um, that-, that that's why I you know this particularly uh, sparked my interest in my I think the offer debate.
1: I think uh what do you think about my idea that um the best way to pursue this would be to come up with some sort of system that's smart enough to program itself rather than saying here's how you will react when someone yells at you here's how you'll you know here here will be your impressions of that rather than that just have a, something that's uh so advanced and has so much processing power and is so capable that it can just make these conclusions on its own and learn uh i think that's ultimately when you get to the point where you can create something like that Where you don't have to provide programming, you don't have to provide code for everything it does. It's just going to write its own code, as your brain does. I mean, ultimately, if we are trying to simulate a human brain, that's what you're going to have to create is something that is a blank slate other than certain uh, functions that it regulates. Like we have, you know, we are born. Despite the fact that our brains don't know anything about how to speak or we don't know anything about religion or how to hold the fork properly when we're born, our brain does still know how to tell our heart how to beat properly and how to regulate oxygen levels in our blood and it knows how to do any number of different things. well, I guess the brain's—I guess the brain is in some way responsible for regulating. Well, yeah, the brain would re- regulate oxygen yep. levels in the blood, and um, but otherwise, it doesn't know shit. And I think that's <laughs> when when you can you you can create something that mimics that growth process. I think that's when you have truly and you have you have created sentience out of inanimate objects out of earth matter. Yeah, see,
2: I, what I would love is the moment that what you just created, or what you just described as created, and then rather than us find out that we've we've done something groundbreaking, it tells us more about ourselves and how little control we have mm. rather than how uh, self-aware this new construct is. Which I, I guess we already know. I mean, what, what kind of shock would there be in humanity uh, that could come out, oh. come, come from it, but...
5: Well, I, well, the shock from doing something like that, uh, I, I don't even think um, creating this um, item that Michael is referring to it is even possible just because, you know, like right now we're, we're just like theorizing about the idea of like um, the quantum computer, which is like, uh, as Curtis said earlier, I believe, um, is the closest thing that we have to even like coming up with an idea like this, mm-hmm. um, something that could um, offer the answer um, before it's asked and whatnot. Um, if we ever get to the point of creating a, uh, an intelligence like that, we're being, um, I think we're probably going to end up blowing ourselves up first anyway, um, just because you know, uh, if we create something like the quantum computer, we are screwed as a humanity.
2: Right. Really. That's as soon as as soon as but, it's developed. Oh yeah, uh, well,
5: yeah. It, it's already um, surpassed first, us. Uh, the first person. Um, are, are you familiar with the Millennium? Um, uh, I think they called the Millennium Problems, Millennium Questions
1: no
2: vaguely yeah
5: okay basically there's uh i think there was a total seven right now there's only one left and whoever can solve the answer um you know uh, it's a theory uh is p does p equal np is the question and if you can prove it yes or true or false um, you win a million dollars but the thing is if you can prove it true um you're better off not taking the million um, dollars because you could probably steal um, all the money on the planet because you've broken um, every encryption um, imaginable. It's P plus, P- it's P, it's what is it? P equals NT. Oh. Um, but My best way of describing the problem is um, you can check a password if it's right or wrong really fast, right? Mm-hmm. So you can you know you can type it in and click enter and you know if it works it worked if it didn't it didn't and you can um, you know say yes it worked well the the idea behind P equals NP is can we um, create can we come up with the password in the exact um, in like the same time or close time interval to what it takes to check to see if that password's right and right so- now like we are far from that.
2: Yeah, so so basically the creation of the password and all the different combinations that it could be would both be instantly accessible. Is that?
5: Yes. Okay. Um, they would also, um, you know, to solve this problem, um, prime factoring would be um, a problem that was also solved, which is the basis for um, all modern encryptions. Right. So... It's all a matter of how, how something like that, It's encryption really does it.
1: boil down to how practical is it in terms of the time it takes you to crack this. It's the
2: Napster protocol so how quickly am I going to get discovered that I'm downloading music with all the other millions of people who have IPs sitting in there and it used to be that the there is a comfort and numbers and the idea is that you can go through all that really quickly and send out lawsuits to everybody.
1: But I'm not sure I understand why it's inherently believed that once we have a quantum computer at our disposal, that the human race then blows itself up. I mean, wouldn't we also be able to solve a number of problems that currently plague us in this yeah. existence? Uh, some of which wars are currently fought over. For instance, how to.
3: I think.
5: I think we would be able to solve those problems, but um, considering our um, human nature, I don't think that would be the first idea we had.
2: Right. Well, that wouldn't be what would, That's not even what drives us to try to create the uh, quantum computer. It's for technological superiority of us versus them. Whoever you want to put in each of those categories. It's not like the world is working together to create. Uh, a a quantum computer and saying, okay, we know the answer is 42. Now what's the question? And that we're all waiting patiently or excitedly to, to find out what it is. Instead it's, Hey, we want to be able to have our drones and uh, drones be better and more efficient than you. And also uh, crack your encryption and control you. Uh, That's (laughs) what the the Department department of defense is more interested in developing a quantum computer than Stanford is by itself as a research Tool. I mean, if, if Stanford has uh, people working on it, it's probably through a defense contract. That's the unfortunate part of it.
1: Computing uh, has become cheaper than ever. It's everywhere. It's in the hands of pretty much every, every rung of the social ladder in every nation on the planet. Everyone can get their hands on an Internet-connected computer if they want to pretty much now. Uh, yeah. Even in the poorest countries, you can go to a cyber cafe and get online. But and it's not just computers. There's a lot of science and technology and physics involved in this that a computer well helps my, you my, my point but not theoretically. is, but my point isn't that. My point is, life for everybody has gotten better in a lot of different ways as computing, access to computing has, and and internet connectivity have become more ubiquitous. And so why is it assumed that if a quantum computer is brought to the fore, <laughs> and I, I just don't understand why we have to assume that bad things are going to happen. It doesn't make any sense to me.
2: Yeah, well, I think that there, like both of you said, there's good things that could happen from it, but human nature is to use it as a weapon first, and then after the fallout occurs, then use it for good. Uh yeah. Look at nuclear.
5: Well, I mean, like, even think about um, well, think about how the internet started. Um, in, in general, uh, if um, my, uh, if what I'm thinking is correct, uh, what, what I was always told and taught was that uh, it was originally developed by um, DARPA as part of a um, redundant um, communication protocol in order to um, withstand a nuclear attack, but. Well, right. see, I
1: was always under the impression that it was initially created for the trading of cockpits, but I could be wrong.
2: <laughs>
5: well, again, that's
2: oh, where uh, after bad things happen, good things come.
1: <laughs> Go ahead, Curtis Two. I'm sorry.
5: Oh no, no. I mean, I mean, you know, uh, you know Curtis uh, Curtis One just actually mentioned, you know, b- uh, bad first and good things to come. I mean, like the internet um, behind the the idea behind it. You know, uh, even if it was. Um, in order to create a redundant communications um, protocol, in order to you know maintain communications under the event of like a, a nuclear attack, it's also great for porn.
1: Right. Well, well see, I disagree there. I, I I do not support porn on the internet, but but I, I support worlds full of porn. But I do support uh, the private trading of <laughs> cockpicks.
2: Yeah. Well, well, look at space travel and the the whole mission to the moon. We didn't go to the moon for scientific. Uh, advancement. We went there to say we did it before the Russians did. There's another example of, of where uh, we we don't do things for altruistic uh, means. I don't even think that those ultimately exist. Uh, now, th- the thing is that if a quantum computer shows up all of a sudden with no no person behind it, then... All the things, Michael, you want are are more possible because then it's just accessible uh, to be used and that processing power uh, that we can't even imagine is available. The the problem is when someone creates it, then they're going to use it for their advantage until there's no real advantage or need for it anymore. Then it flips over to being, uh, hey, let let everybody have some fun with it and, and see how quickly you can get a pick from here to Australia.
1: Curtis number two, I don't think I've ever heard from you before, and um, kind of wondering how you found this show. Are you a Bell Gab user? Or how do you know about us?
5: Um, I, know. I I have a personal relationship with Curtis
2: one. Oh well, that's less yeah. impressive then. It, actually, I, th- I think it's extremely impressive. I'm 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 excited
1: he called. I was I was thinking we just we had that kind of reach that new people were just coming in, but no, <laughs> this is the guy who uh, cleans the windows at Curtis's office.
2: No, he's way I I probably clean his
1: windows is more likely Uh. Okay, well uh, Curtis too, I'm glad you called You seem like a thoughtful individual And uh, we welcome your Input in the future, thank you
5: Thank you
1: And that's it For this edition of NPR Presents I'm (laughs) Michael Vandy (laughs) Uh, You know, something That was said there just a little while ago uh, kind of made me curious about this, uh, some of the inventions that have uh, become publicly available to us in our day-to-day lives as a result of the lunar program. Mm-hmm. And um, number one, the CAT scanner. This cancer-detecting technology was first used to find imperfections in space components. Uh, the computer microchip, modern microchips, descend from integrated circuits used in the Apollo guidance computer. Cordless tools, power drills, and vacuum cleaners use technologies designed to drill for moon samples. The ear thermometer, a camera-like lens that detects infrared energy we feel as heat, was originally used to monitor the birth of stars. Uh, I, I think some of this is just. I not know that. Just, I think some of this is just general NASA uh, uh, right. innovations as opposed to things, things specifically that, uh, linked to the lunar program.
2: Different things that Richard C. Hoagland. Had. <laughs> Uh, advised on clearly uh listen to the guy he was there
1: yeah freeze-dried food this reduces food weight and increases shelf life without sacrificing nutritional value insulation home insulation uses reflective material that protects spacecraft from radiation are you telling me there was no insulation
2: that's what i'm thinking too i mean
1: what about like asbestos and things like that that now we know have all the issues
2: they do but I Asbestos
1: is actually a really great thing. It's just when you get out there and start stirring it around that you got a problem.
2: Right. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's like a lot of, like like you were talking about with the uh, smoke detectors. As long as it's left to do what it does, it's not a problem. It's when you <laughs> tinker with it. It's amazing I still walk and I, I'm vertical. It's amazing. Man, all the things I did with electricity as a kid, I'm surprised that I'm still alive. And, and then my parents didn't have to replace every wire in our house.
1: Invisible braces, teeth straightening is less embarrassing thanks to transparent ceramic brace brackets. That's transparent ceramic brace brackets made from spacecraft materials. Uh, The joystick. The joystick. This computer gaming device was first used on the Apollo Lunar Rover. Wait, is that the joystick from Porn Planet or for gaming? I'll leave that to the listener to decide. Okay. Memory foam, created for aircraft seats to soften landing. This foam, which returns to its original shape, is found in mattresses and shock absorbing helmets. Satellite TV, uh, the technology used to fix errors in spacecraft signals, helps reduce scrambled pictures and sound in satellite TV signals. Scratch resistant lenses. Uh, astronaut helmet visor coating makes our spectacles ten times. More scratch-resistant. Shoe insoles. Athletic shoe companies adapted space boot designs to lessen impact by adding spring and ventilation.
2: So you're saying Jordan is
1: really a a product of NASA? Michael Jordan? Uh, Well, maybe not him, but the shoes that were manufactured by little brown people in a faraway land for him, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Let me go to... Uh, I accidentally went to the... Okay, here we are. The smoke detector. NASA invented the first adjustable smoke detector with sensitivity levels to prevent false alarms. Uh, The swimsuit. What? (laughs) NASA used the same principles that reduce drag in space to help create the world's fastest swimsuit for Speedo, rejected by some professionals for giving an unfair advantage.
2: Yeah, I've always wondered about that in the Olympics, how you have all this technology that makes you... uh... (coughs) so
1: much better and water repelling off of you. Uh,
3: you know those swimmers
1: slum- actually shave the hair off of their bodies because they feel it uh, increases drag. Right. That's amazing.
2: Yeah. The things that, that, that they do and the way they use technology to help them it makes me think that it's not necessarily athletic ability completely at that point. That, not that I could go out and do the same thing that Michael Phelps does but, but I, without I that technology. Well yeah you could. I believe you could.
1: Uh, Uh, The last one on the list here is the water filter. Domestic versions borrow a technique NASA pioneered to kill bacteria and water taken into space. I think they're kind of uh, failing to broach the real subject here, which is the conversion of urine into water. Maybe that's a little icky for them to talk about (laughs) here. I don't know. Yeah, most people don't like to realize that. Really, that is uh, the biggest... uh, That is sort of the holy grail of water filtration is the ability to drink your own piss.
2: Yeah. What about uh, mechanical pencils?
1: You know, I mean, I'm wondering if I just... Okay, let's say I'm drinking my own piss that's been filtered into water. And then it comes out again as piss and I filter it again into water. I wonder how long it's going to be before I just completely dehydrate and... What percentage of the water is going to be cast away as filtered waste through each cycle of
2: filtration? Well, doesn't your body expel water to get waste products out of it anyway? So, I mean, it would it's still water. I mean, water is a very simple molecule that I would think that each time as you filter, you're filtering out the waste, but you're still
1: getting water. Yeah, but I wonder how many times I can go through this cycle before I just... I I, I just uh, don't have anything left. I think you'd be able to keep
2: going because your body constantly, I mean, you're basically just recycling the same water uh, like an aquarium does at that point. An aquarium loses water because of evaporation, not, uh, and I think the same thing would happen here. You would lose water to evaporation and from the conversion process uh, as waste in that, but you could keep going
1: indefinitely because water, you know, the water that comes out is still water. Well, yeah, you could keep filtering everything that you pee, that's for sure. I mean, the pee wouldn't be less filterable, but there would be less pee each time, I think. Wouldn't there? I, mean, I don't think so, you're, no, because no, you're, you're, you're not, still... I mean, you're, yeah. you do lose, all, you lose water by breathing. Yeah, you
2: know? so I guess that, just like in the aquarium example, that the aquarium only loses water really because of evaporation. So that's your, your system, that's what your biggest issue would be is the evaporation of water through all the other systems in your body and the fact that you put in uh, through uh, urine, let's say 10 milliliters or whatever uh, of water uh, through it and then you put it back into your system and you're going to use that in other ways other than just expelling it as urine. So uh, so you're not going to get 10 out. Again, you might get 9. So through the other systems of your body, I guess, is how it would happen. So over time, you're probably right.
1: T-Mobile's record year comes at a cost. Well, This is from CNN. Uh, T-Mobile's big gamble in the wireless industry is paying off. The question is how long the upstart carrier can afford to keep it going. T-Mobile said Thursday it added a record 2.4 million subscribers in the first three months of this year, its fourth consecutive quarter, with over 1 million total net additions. Uh, Of that 2.4 million, more than 1.3 million pay for a monthly service plan. The most lucrative kind of customers. The company's breakneck growth has come on the back of a series of aggressive marketing moves T Mobile has termed the uncarrier revolution. Among other things, the company has eliminated contracts, dropped international roaming charges, and even offered to pay competitors' customers $650 to switch. Um, and I have taken advantage of that. I had uh, about $420. In early termination fees uh, between both of my lines on Verizon. And I just actually Friday, yesterday, uh, took photos of my final Verizon bill and sent those off. And so Hmm. I will receive a... I'm a little unclear on something, though, and I'm not sure if this is going to be something they come back and tell me I uh, have to do, but I'm not sure if I have to send in my old devices because I don't really want to send in my Galaxy Nexus devices; they're literally they're, they're pretty much worthless.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna uh, bet, bet uh, that you do have to, because they're going to resell it. That's how they're going to get their money back.
1: Well, good luck selling my cracked screen Galaxy Nexus <laughs> well, devices. Yeah. You know, have fun with that. Um, I mean, they're so worthless. I I just I don't know. So they may end up getting a hold of me and saying, "Hey, you got to send in your phones." And if I have to, I'll have to. There is a lot of money at stake. You know, it's about 420 bucks. But uh what they'll do is they will reimburse reimburse you for that in the form of a uh prepaid Mastercard that has whatever the amount is on it and then you can just use that as you please. Mm-hmm. That's really revolutionary, man, to pay people the early termination fee from their old carrier. How about yeah. that? That that's happened in the past. The people
2: have tried to to go that route. It hardly it doesn't last long term, which is why I thought this article was interesting, is that it's uh, costing the company a lot of money to do this. Can they sustain it? You you have to reach critical mass, I guess, of subscribed, well, customers paying a monthly fee to you to be able to handle this long term.
1: T-Mobile CEO says we are clearly proving that we can accelerate growth, and it's basically a simple formula associated with solving customer pain points. And removing some of the arrogance of the industry, he also said it's uh, the company. He says is not nearly finished in its effort to upend traditional business practices in the industry. But T-Mobile's bold marketing has come at the cost of narrowing margins and widening losses. The company finished the first quarter with a loss of 151 million, up from 20 million in the last three months of 2013. Shares of T-Mobile, T-Mobile nonetheless surged 8% in morning trading Thursday, boosted by reports that Rival Sprint is preparing a bid to acquire the company. Yay. The deal yeah. would combine the nation's third and fourth largest wireless carriers into a single entity with a subscriber total comparable to that of industry leaders AT&T and Verizon. I hope that doesn't happen, man. That's all we need is fewer carriers. Yay. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Have you
2: heard rumors of AT&T trying to buy DirecTV? No. Yeah, I'd I'd recently heard that too, that that's their way of competing with Comcast. I just thought of that as you're reading that.
1: I don't care, though. I mean, I've been a cord cutter for so long with no home TV service. I just uh, couldn't Mm -hmm. care less what happens in that industry. All I, I care about, to, all I care about is what happens where my uh, data connection at home is related, and uh other than that, couldn't
2: care less yeah, well, I'd love to see some form some some better uh tools with uh cellular connections and uh uh satellite if the if those would become more reliable for people who uh, are outside of your typical d s l or cable range.
1: I'm still waiting on Project Loon to free us You're from right. all of our cell carriers. I mean, if we can just get that going and just make all of our phone calls over TCP IP. Yeah, I'm all for that.
2: It'll be such a freeing experience, I think, once good internet is available for all
1: devices. I mean, really, that's that's going to change everything. I, I just, my confidence in Google's ability to follow through on anything has just been shaken of late.
2: Yeah, well... That that's where it needs to. The government needs to be involved in it. In, what,
1: would, in what regard?
2: And rolling it out and making it happen. Because uh, that project way, loon. Yeah. The, well, the ability to have internet everywhere.
1: Hmm. I th- I that, I, I, I want to see municipalities get involved. in... Uh, well, that doesn't really address the internet everywhere issue, though. You know, for people that are out in the middle of the sticks. But I do want to be able to be in the bottom of the Grand Canyon and place a phone call. Right. And Project Loon would give us that ability. And uh, it would entirely free us from traditional cell phone carriers, which boy would that be great? And I, I guess um, I guess we didn't really get around to talking about uh, Google Fiber and how it's it looks like it's going to be rolled out in a broader fashion in the near future. Uh, we well, I hope that. Topeka was it Topeka, Kansas, and I believe so. doesn't Austin also have Google Fiber? Yeah, they're in it. Yeah, and uh, I think those are the only two towns aren't they thus far yeah. and we're going to see that start to spread out and uh, there are indications that some of that's actually going to be wireless as opposed to a true fiber connection coming into your house and I'm not sure what method they're going to employ as far as wireless connectivity is concerned but I don't know maybe we'll uh, talk about that on the next episode of the spec sheet yeah it'll
2: come with a free uh, Google Glass for all uh, Google Fiber customers I'm joking.
1: I was going to hold you to that. Yeah, well, if it's only $80 for each one of them, then it could happen. Mm. I thought you were serious. No, that'd be awesome. Okay, well, this is the spec sheet. Thanks to everybody who tuned in live, and thanks also to everybody who downloads the show. We don't ask for any money to do the show. We don't have any advertisers. We just do the show because it's fun for us, and without you guys tuning in, there's really no point in any of this. So just the fact that you're listening is certainly payment enough uh, appreciate that and visit our website at ufoship.com where you can download the show after it airs we also have a number of other podcasts there for your enjoyment including the gabcast which is a podcast about bellgab.com and we also have uh, the fret files which is a podcast about building and repairing and maintaining and everything you would ever want to know about guitars Hosted by Eric Daw, otherwise known as the General at Belgen, kind of jealous of his podcast, actually. Yeah, he does a good job. He does. Okay, guys, uh, we'll see you later. Bye, Curtis. All right, see you. Have a good weekend. You too,
2: and
4: everybody else.